Mac Power Users, episode 421, Business Workflows. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my friend, Katie Floyd. How are you, Katie Floyd? I'm great, David. It was great to see you this past week. Yeah, it was. It was especially good at the party where I just had too much fun and started dancing on the table. I know. It, that, you remember it was, that part? It, it was a little embarrassing. I, I want you to know I captured video of it, though, so we'll probably share that somewhere. Yeah, and I was just amazed when Beyonce came to our Mac Power Users workflow meetup. I mean, never had any idea she was following, but it makes sense. I know. I meant to tell you that she signed up for a ticket in the Eventbrite, but I, I didn't really think that that was her. I figured it was just Rose, you know, playing in there, but yeah, you never know. Want to hear my Beyonce um, impression? I would love to hear your Beyonce impression. That is so crazy. That's all I got. That's okay. all I got. Well, guys, we are pre-recording uh, this episode before we head to Chicago, but I'm sure all of those amazing things happened at our Chicago meetup. So we do want to say thank you to everybody who came out to the Chicago meetup. Uh, and we will share, if, if you've got pictures, um, please send them to us and um, uh, we'll, we'll try to share some of those in the Facebook group. Please, only flattering pictures because, you know, please. Or, or me on the table. That's or David on the table. If you did get video footage of David on the table, we definitely want you to share that. All right. Well, uh, we have been receiving emails from random lawyers on this show for many, many years saying, when are you going to do a show about being a lawyer? And my answer, I I think I need to turn it into a text expander simply at this point is probably never because uh, lawyers are great. We're lawyers, but we don't really want our show to be for lawyers only. Yes. And that would be very boring because most lawyers are really boring, except for us. And, and Beyonce over here, but you know, so we, uh, so we never really had any intention to do that, but we, uh, we both, uh, talked or about to talk about, boy, this, this per- present and future tense thing is really hard for me. Yeah. I think we just give it up. We we're, we're pre-recording it. It's fine. So as we were rec- getting ready to record, we are spending a bunch of time working on, uh, explaining a bunch of the workflows we use to run our businesses to other lawyers at the ABA tech show. And it kind of got us thinking about the picture in, in bigger sense, both of us uh, run our own businesses, and we wanted to talk about uh, those workflows. Now, this is not going to be, uh, sadly for lawyers, the show where we explain how we lawyer with our computers. But uh, some of the stuff we're going to talk about is very applicable to law practices as we have both kind of developed these workflows there. And, uh, you know, kind of talking back and forth, we have a lot of workflows that we use to run our businesses. And I think anybody who uh, is just looking to improve some workflow hacks, uh, hopefully we'll have something for you today. Yeah, I, I think I think we've got got some good stuff here that that may not just be for businesses. It may really be for anybody who wants to get work done. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the 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 underlying premise for both of us, I think, is uh, we hate doing this piddly stuff, and uh, so we figured ways to get our computers to do it. I'm so successful at that that in some ways it's hard for me to hire assistants because a lot of things assistants do, my computer just does for me. And uh, so let's share some of our secret tricks, Katie Floyd. Let's just lay it all out there for everybody. Yeah, we've we've kind of broken these a, a little bit into sections. So I think the first section that I'm I'm starting us with 
and it's a big one, it's a broad one, is communicating with people. Because that's that's really what a lot of people do in their day-to-day business is we've got to somehow communicate effectively. And there are lots of ways that we can do that. Uh, as, as computer people, we do a lot of our communication these days through email. And email can be a blessing and a curse. I mean, it saves us a lot of time and a lot of money because we don't have to get on planes, trains, get in automobiles to go communicate with people. We can send documents now and collaborate by email. But Email can can also be the bane of our existence and that now we've just overwhelmed ourselves with with all of those emails. And I'm sure we all remember when when it was very special when you got an email, like you would go check your email and it was like, oh, I got email. How wonderful that is. I love email. And now it's just like, oh, there's more email. I I still get a couple of those emails that warms the cockles of my heart. It's uh, from old, old friends once in a while. Send me a fun email and send a picture of them and their families that those emails still make me pretty happy. Uh, People don't send letters like that very often anymore. So that's good, but you're right. In a lot of ways, email just gets in the way. Um, So what are we doing these days to manage email kind of in that context? And what are some of our tricks to make it more manageable? I'll tell you one of mine that I've, I wrote about this at Max Barkey a little while ago is I have one of the best things I ever could do is I put email on a timer and uh, every day uh, I I set aside an hour to deal with all my email from the law practice and from the Max Barkey and even the social media stuff. So I can go in an hour, I can get through all my email, go on Facebook, check in with the group and say hi to folks and check the threads out there, check up on Twitter. And when I'm done, I, uh, I go back to doing other things. And that's one of my best email hacks I can share with you. Fine. And it doesn't have to be an hour. Maybe it's a half hour for you. Maybe it's two hours. I don't know. It depends on what your load is. But figure out how much time it takes and cut that like in half or like 75% and see if you can get it done that soon. But say I'm going to spend a set devoted time each day to checking, to, to doing my email. And I tend to do mine kind of first thing in the morning when I get into the office. And then I'll probably do another one, maybe not the very last thing of the day, because I, I try to use the, the last part of the day for, for winding down, but maybe probably like 3, 3.30-ish is is when I'll I'll set another, another email review. I, t- I tend to like to do this like after I've gotten right, my first cup of coffee in the morning. And then maybe when I get that afternoon cup of coffee, kind of that afternoon lull, a lot of it also kind of has to do with attention and energy level. And sometimes I find that clearing out the email box is something that I can do when uh, maybe my energy is not quite at its highest, but I can just sit through there and, and bang out and replies to emails. Yeah. I, you know, one of the big changes in my life I made when I realized that, you know, I'm not getting enough Max Barkey books done and things like that is I, I really started to deliberately schedule time for them. And uh, for me, the first thing in the morning, I roll out of bed like five thirty six, and I, I sit at a computer for two hours and write. Usually it's on the next field guide, but sometimes it's posts from Max Barkey, but it's not legal stuff. So between like, I'll say six and 8 a.m., uh, I don't check email. I, I The very first thing I do is write. And then I don't come back. You know, Then after I do a little exercise and morning routine and things, I, I probably get to email about 9 a.m. And I do. So, so something I found that works for me is not to check email first thing. I actually wait until after I've done stuff for a little while. Yeah, I want to be clear. The first thing when I get in the office is not first thing when I start working. 
that's that's kind of my my lull getting set up time. No, because that's not my my precious precious work time. So that you you got to figure out when when works for you. So let me ask you this question. I I know you've put you and I want to talk more about your hyper scheduling a little bit later, but you you've put your email on a timer. And I know we've talked a lot about um, inbox zero and the idea of processing your inbox down to to zero at the end of the day or you know and whatever. What do you do if the timer goes off? And you still got twenty messages in your inbox. How do you how do you handle that? Um, so I always handle the priority stuff. I mean, with the law practice, I get some emails from other lawyers and clients and things that have to be addressed, and those get addressed. And with the Max Sparky stuff, I get stuff related to you know if the Apple iBooks team sends me an email. I mean, there's the priority emails, you know, dealing with sponsors and stuff like that. You know, the kind of the businessy end of what I do. Uh, another example is if a customer has a problem with a download or something, all that stuff gets managed first. But then I've got kind of this lingering backlog of questions from listeners and, you know, questions from people who read the blog and things like that. That stuff, some of that stuff is two and three months old. And after a while, it just kind of falls off. I'm sorry if I haven't responded to you in two or three months. It's not because I don't love you. It's just I it just I never got to it. But I don't just automatically archive that stuff. I do try and answer it. So usually with my timing system, I have managed the most important stuff and taken care of all that. And usually I have 10 or 15 minutes left and I just start going through that stuff, you know, the backlog and I defer it all. So, uh, you know, it'll get deferred out a week or two or three days, depending on how, you know, how much urgency there is attached to it. So there's always this stuff that's left over that has showed up from a defer box. And I'll go through that and answer as many as I can. And when I finish, if I see some that are over two or three months old, I'll just archive those at that point. And um, if there are some that are, are more recent that I, I still want to get to, I'll push them out two or three days and then um, just rinse and repeat the next day. Now, I do want to follow up with deferring emails because that's something I do a lot. But what about, um, you know, we both use SaneBox and uh, they are a sponsor of the show, but not of this particular show. What about using inboxes, different inboxes for things that have different priorities? You know, SaneBox famously gives us a Sane later folder, but I also have a a separate folder in my in my inbox for things that don't necessarily need a reply. You know, and I, I say that like things that it would be nice if I could reply to, like feedback. I have a feedback inbox that if I if I don't reply to it. It's not going to be the end of the world. It would be nice if I could reply to it, but I make sure that I clear out my inbox, that I triage through everything in my my same later folder, and then if I can get to stuff in my feedback in feedback inbox, great. If I can't, not the end of the world. Doesn't worry about it. Do you? Do you? I don't like deferring stuff and having it reshow back up in my inbox five days later because I don't need it to see it in my inbox five days later. I just know that there's a different place that I can go to. If I, if I have time to get to it. Yeah. So like, I guess I, you, you and I do something very similar. Like I, I always get through my inbox items, but with same box, there's these folders called like later and feedback. I have a feedback one as well. And same box is kind of spooky good at figuring out what goes into later versus feedback. And so by the time I get to my end of my allotted time, I'm in those boxes. Um, and I don't know why I do this, but I, I do, I do go ahead and the stuff I haven't finished at the time, I will go and defer that. And sometimes, and like I, like I said, I kind of go through and I archive a bunch of it if it's too old and if it's, and I, I, 
if it's stuff that requires a response, I'm just looking at the subject line. I mean, our our re- listeners and my readers are pretty smart. Usually the subject line, I can tell if it's something that's more urgent than something else. So I may set defer dates based on that priority. It's probably silly that I do that, but I do it. Cause so at the end of the, the session, though, the feedback folder is empty. Everything's empty at the hour. And then, like you, I didn't say earlier, I come back in the afternoon and I once again sweep through. Uh, the trick with that afternoon email sweep for me is not to treat it like my hour-long email processing in the morning. It is just the only things I'm going to respond to are, are true emergencies. You know, with the law practice, occasionally something comes in where I do need to respond in the afternoon. But if it's not something that I need to respond to in the afternoon, uh, I just defer it until the next morning. And, but I go through it and kind of sweep through to make sure everything that I I don't want to go to bed wondering if there's something in the box that I should be worried about. So it's a much, it's a much faster sweep in the afternoon than it is in the morning. Let's let's talk a little bit about uh, deferring emails because that's something that we started to to touch on. It's something that I'm doing a lot more, but I think you have to be careful about how you do it because basically what I think of as deferring emails is just saying, this is an email that is important to me. This is an email that I'm going to get to. I'm just not going to get to it now. So a lot of emails I will defer, for example, if it's something more personal related, and I know that I'm just not going to have time to tackle this until the weekend, I've got a weekend folder and I'll defer it to the weekend. So I do that very frequently. Um, Or if it's something that, you know, maybe it is the weekend and I know I want to get to it on Monday, I'll, I'll defer things on Monday. I don't tend to do a lot of deferring for three hours from now or, or two days from now or something like that. Uh, I think you, you tend to do a little more of, of that. Can, can you explain to me the types of things that you defer in and when you defer them? Yeah, I, I think I do use that feature more than you do. And I'm not sure whether or not it's something I'd recommend, but it, it just works for me. And just as a little history on it, I bet if you went back and listened to some old episodes of Mac Power Users when people start, first started talking about deferring emails, I, I know I made fun of it on probably the blog. And I know I made fun of it when I talked to friends about it. I probably did it on this show too. I'm like, what a stupid idea. You know, all you're doing is putting off the inevitable, you know, deferring email doesn't make any sense. Uh, Why not just address it or whatever. Uh, But what I found was back in those days, I was putting a lot of email into OmniFocus and I still put some email into OmniFocus, but not nearly as much because uh, that's a whole thing. You know, once you create a task out of it, it's something you got to manage and it does fall into your, you know, other stuff you have to deal with. Uh, and I found that deferring is kind of a middle ground. It, deferring something like a listener question or something that's just not that important as opposed to creating a task out of it uh, is faster for me. And it just takes a minute. I've I've used, um, I, I believe it's Mail Act On that I've used to do this. It's either Mail Act On or Mail Tags. I have both of those where I just hold down the control key and I can, as I've got a, a message selected, uh, I've got a whole bunch of different um, options. Like I can move them into the the three hour, you know, one day, two day. I've got all these different defer uh, sequences and they all, they're all mapped to keys under my fingers. So as I go through my inbox on my Mac, I can just very quickly defer stuff out uh, on any one of my three major accounts, you know, the Mac Sparky, the legal or the personal. So um, I've got, I'm very fast at deferring that way. 
in addition to deferring things that just aren't as important as needing a task is things that truly just I'm waiting for. Uh, I was just thinking as you were talking this morning, I had an email from a client that's asking me the status or something. And uh, I had already sent out a bunch of correspondence to the other lawyer and I knew he was going to respond to me today. You know, we're recording this. Um, so I, rather than respond to the client and say, I don't know, or I'm still waiting, I just deferred it out two hours. Now I'm not actually going to see that once I press two hours in the morning, that means I'm not going to actually see it till the afternoon. Cause I do my best to stay out of the inbox most of the day, but the, later in the afternoon and before us recording day, I did in fact hear from the other lawyer. So I'll be able to report back on status later today. And uh, I did that without having to create an omni-focus task. All it took was holding down the control key on my keyboard and pressing one button and it was deferred. So I guess that's an example of how I use it. Yeah, I don't do like I, I don't do any referring um, excuse me, deferring during the day because I know in the course of any given day I'm gonna process the the inbox down to zero anyway. So um I, I, I tend to use it more limitedly, but I, I definitely do defer emails. Um, you know, kind of from, from day to day, but, um, I'll, I'll tend to use more dedicated folders for things like, you know, feedback and, and, and those types of things, but it's a head game. I mean, it's a, it's a different kind of head game, you know, sticking it into a folder is another kind of head game. It's out of your inbox. You know, you know, what needs to happen in that folder. Um, one of the things about SaneBox I find is that they, when you defer it, it still gets back into the right folder. If I get feedback from a listener and I defer it, it still lands in feedback the next time. It's just got an unread tag next to it. Um, so for whatever reason, that's kind of where I landed with this stuff. I, I think it's, um, choose your own poison. But to me, the idea of just getting those boxes empty when I finish that hour has a lot of happy chemicals released in my brain. And, and that's the reason probably why I do it more than any other. So let's, we've talked a little bit about deferring emails. Um, I want to talk a little bit about scheduling emails was kind of the other side of this. I will frequently schedule emails to send at a later date. So these are emails that I've already processed that I've already written that are ready to go. But for whatever reason, I just don't want them to go out at this particular time. Maybe it's because I'm working on a weekend and I want an email to go out on Monday. Um, Maybe it's because I'm thinking about something right now but it doesn't make sense for the email to go out right now. Maybe it's a a reminder to someone to do something or, you know, for for whatever reason, it just makes more sense for this email to go out later. I I won't say that I use this all the time, but probably several times a month, I'm I'm scheduling emails to send out at a later date. I really wish this was something that was easier to do on iOS, but it seems like it's something that that right now really only can be done on a Mac or, or through a web service effectively. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever said on the show, but a a couple of years ago, I received an email from a lawyer that was super compromising. Uh, He made a big mistake by sending me an email that was all about me, but it wasn't meant for me. (laughs) And I, uh, it's okay. I called the guy up and we went out and had a drink and we got over it. But the, um, uh, but just seeing that happen got me thinking, man, I don't ever want to do that. (laughs) So I turned on mail act on is a great plugin for your Mac. If you, if you were looking for a way to kind of power up Apple mail and, uh, I talked earlier about how I use it to hot uh, key move stuff, but they also have this great feature where you can uh, defer sending an email. And I have it turned on when, when that whole thing went down. I just turned mail act on where every email I send goes out two minutes after I press the send button. And so there's just a slight delay. And 
if I'm talking to someone on the phone, which rarely happens where they're like, I need that right now. And I'm like, okay, let me just send it to you. You can, there's a setting you can go and you can turn it off to send us a couple of emails where they go out immediately. But, and this is partly because my day job, I'm a lawyer and I represent companies and I need to make sure that, you know, I do my job right. But putting everything on a two minute delay has never hurt me really. And uh, it hasn't saved my bacon yet in the way it would have saved that guy's. But it has saved me a couple times where, like, I sent something and then it hit me like, oh, dummy, you wrote a book on email, but you forgot to put the attachment on. So I'll go in and it's pending so I can fix that before it goes out. But I, I still haven't had it really save my bacon. But I, I don't see any reason why not to have everything I send on a two-minute delay. So I do that. On the iPad and the iPhone, however, it doesn't really work that way. There, I, I'm with you. There's not a really good way to do it. Yeah, there. What you're using mail act on to send everything on the two minute lay? Yeah, there there are a couple of tools that are doing that for people who are are Gmail purists. There's some extent or are they called extension? Well, whatever's in Gmail, there's some tools that will let you do that. Mail Butler, I think, will let you do that. Mail act on is kind of my go to for a lot of these things. Mail act on will let you do that. It will let you do the scheduling. Um, it will let you do uh, a lot of those things. So mail mail act on is kind of a go to for for all of these, these types of things. Um, and then there is a, um, there is a plugin for Gmail that is like free for up to 10 uses a month. And then after that you, you have to pay, but it doesn't work for G suite users. I think it just works for, um, uh, for, for regular Gmail users. Um, and I'm, I'm blanking, but I will, I will put a link in the show notes to it, uh, that will allow you to, to send emails later. So those are, those are things you can look at too. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you part by Fujitsu and the amazing ScanSnap line of scanners. Now, you've probably heard us talk a couple of times about the ScanSnap line of scanners. In fact, we talk a lot about going paperless on this particular podcast. But let me tell you, if you have been on the fence about this, you have got to go ahead and pull the trigger. I have got a ScanSnap scanner at my desk at home and at the office, and I cannot imagine trying to run a paperless practice without one. I've got the ScanSnap iX500, which is the Mac Daddy paperless scanner. And there is no way that you can run a paperless business without a fully fledged document scanner. You can try to use multifunction scanners. You can try to use iOS document scanners, but nothing beats a real document scanner. The ScanSnap iX500 is a full duplex scanner. You can stick more than 50 sheets of paper in that sucker. It will scan either over USB 3.0 or wirelessly up to 25 pages per minute. And they have an advanced paper feeding system, which means they know when things get jammed. And it's very rare because it will minimize jams. They have a ton of scanning options because the ScanSnap software meets directly with the ScanSnap hardware. You can choose from their quick productivity menu. You can scan directly to a PDF. You can scan to any multiple type of cloud services. You can scan directly to the ScanSnap cloud, and it will help automatically uh, organize and filter your documents for you. ScanSnap will also automatically OCR your document. And you know from the way we've spoken already that once you OCR documents, you can then infinitely act on them using great tools like Hazel and more. I've got profiles set up to scan to my various cloud services like Dropbox, Evernote, or Google Docs. And I've also got profiles set up for single scans, batch scans, for business cards, for receipts. Whatever it is you want to do, you can do it with your ScanSnap scanner. 
And if the iX500 is a little too heavy duty for you, I don't think it will be. Also check out their full range of scanners, including the S3100i, which is a little more portable, or the iX100, which is the ultimate in portability. You can learn more at their special website, budurl.me slash SSMPU, and that will let them know that you came from Mac Power users. So thanks, ScanSnap, for your kind support of the show. What about um, using Text Expander for email? I mean, are you doing any? Do you use it much? And if so, you know, what are some of your favorite tricks? Like with every email I send out, does that qualify? Really, you use it? I don't I mean, use it with every email, but I, you know, it's. Is it your signature? It depends. So yes, I have a lot of signatures that are that are built into Text Expander. Whether it's my personal, whether it's my personal with my cell phone, whether you know, depending on what I need, whether it's a you know a PO box or a physical address or, or all of those types of things, I've I've got all of those um, you know built into Text Expander. But then I just have a ton of of just form responses, whether it's just a, a single phrase that I will say often, or whether it's directions or um, I, I use those just even just single sentences and phrases. I have text expander snippets for, and then I have a lot of entire emails that I've, I've built into text expander, like, um, you know, emails, confirming appointments, emails, giving people directions to my office, um, emails, letting people know, you know, I, I it took me a while. Like sometimes when you craft a really good email, you're like, Ooh, I'm, I'm saving this. I'm going to, I'm going to use this again. Um, I, I will put those into text expander, like, in in my job and I, and your job as well, I, I always had this issue where people always want just a little too much more than you're willing to give them for free. You know, they just just want a little bit more like, oh, I just I want one more thing. And so I, I had this really nice phrase that I would use to be like, well, I'm you know, if for that, you'll need to actually come in for an appointment for that. We'll need to set you this, you know, and, um, you know, being at once once I came up with that once I, I was like, I'm saving this and that's that's going to be a text expander snippet. And then I would include things like link to my calendar and how to schedule. And so all that went into text expander. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's remarkable in business how much you can use it for. I am, um, I, I bought a, um, I, I buy it like everybody else. Any of these services we talk about that I, um, that I actually use in my business, I don't request freebies. I always just pay for it. But the, um, like I've got these complicated text expander snippets that I use, uh, when people have problems with their downloads in the books. And I, uh, so I've got the whole thing built out and then I've got an assistant that helps me. And, and there is an assistant at Max Barkey email account. Leilani does most of it. And I got her in on text expander and I, you know, I set her up, I got like a company account, I guess, or whatever you call it, where my snippets get shared across. And sometimes the links change and the codes change because of the various services I work with. And I just update those. And then it automatically shows up on her screen. But what's cool is she came over the other day and and I was updating, I was showing her some stuff I was going to do. And she's like filled text expander. She has like, she went, she went crazy with it. So that's cool to see when a, somebody who's not necessarily a nerd starts using stuff like this. Um, but that's, that's kind of a nice feature. And uh, another thing I do with it is the, the one thing with email and text expander, the one trick you should, you should write down if you're not doing it is the tab key. Text expander has a command for the tab key. So that solves so many problems when you write form t type emails. Um, you know, you can go in the subject line, type a snippet, because, you know, usually you type a subject line, then you hit the tab key, and then you type the, the body. Well, you can do all of it in one step if you use the tab key. 
So think about that one. And then I'll put a link in the show notes. I can't explain it on an audio podcast, but I have an Apple script that can pull the person's first name. Uh, so you combine the, uh, the Apple script with the tab key, and then you can really respond to an email automatically where it hits a tab key. Then it says, Dear David, underneath, because it pulls that out, out of the uh, to field and the email. It's pretty cool. Uh, so use the tab key. Yeah. One great use for this, just to give you an example of, of some of the ways that we used to use this, is um, I have an office where we had shared conference room space. And whenever I needed to book the long story short, I really tried to get everybody to use a shared Google calendar so we could book the conference room. But uh, by the way, there's another tip, but that just, for whatever reason, it, it, it wasn't working. It's perhaps Didn't a lost stick. cause. Did not stick. Um, but I, I had access to view the calendar. So I knew when the conference room was available. So whenever I needed to reserve the conference room, I had to send an email to two different people. Um, just letting them know I've just booked an appointment. I need to please block off the conference room calendar for, for this particular, uh, date and time. And so, um, I created a text expander snippet and where, so all I had to do was open up the email application. you know, when you, when you go to create, compose a new message, the, the cursor by default starts in the, the to field, you know, where you go to type someone's email address. So once I figured that out, the, the text expander snippet, has their email addresses, and then I think tab tabs, and then goes to the subject line and then says um, conference room reservation, and then um, has a a date and a time, which are fill-in snippets, and then it tabs again, and then it has the body of the email that says, dear so-and-so and so-and-so, I've just booked an appointment, I need to reserve the conference room, and then again, pulls in the date, pulls in the time, so I'm only typing it once. Um, and then it says, I anticipate that this appointment will last approximately. And then it gives me a drop down menu so I can choose 15 minutes, 30 minutes and, you know, whatever, whatever time it is. I know that Texas Expander is like the original Mac Packers sponsor. So, you know, I, but this is editorial. I always feel like I have to preface that. But um, if you have not made an, a text expander snippet where you have auto filled in the date and put like a fill in field and use a tab key, even if you don't have any use for it. If you've got text expander, I, pr- I recommend going and making one of those snippets like today, just so you understand the mechanics of making it. Because I think once you see it, uh, a whole bunch of uses for it will appear in your life. All you have to do is just do it once so you know how easy it is. And I'm going to go ahead and put in the links. I did some screencasts for them a couple of years ago. They're a little dated, but they still work. And um, they're free. You can go to their website and watch them if you want a little help with that. But uh, spend a little time learning about those extra features because it is so golden in dealing with your email. All right. So we've talked about uh, communicating effectively. Let's let's talk a little bit about calendaring because um, that that's kind of part of communicating. Got to schedule and got to figure out where you're going to be when you're going to be there. Um, you have just kind of wrapped up a big experiment about hyper scheduling. You talked about it a little bit on the podcast. You've you've written a few blog posts about it. Um, I, I figure this might be a good opportunity for you to expound on that a little bit. Tell us what inspired you. Why did you decide to do this and how is it working out? Yeah, I talked about this on the last MPU Plus, and and frankly, the blog posts are uh, a result of Katie because you were like the you, skeptic. You, you were very skeptical, and still was, am. <laughs> the, uh, well, I'll tell you why I was skeptical because sometimes you hyper schedule on our shared calendar. We have a shared calendar, and all of a sudden, you would quickly take that off. But all of a sudden, I would start getting all of these notifications about David Sparks has created an appointment. David Sparks has created an appointment, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, what is he oh, doing?" I, I'm sorry, I try not to not to do that, but it's uh, <laughs> no, you anyway, you, you fix them, and I was just like, "Oh, 
No, it's fine. Like, like I always do, um, like about two or three hours before we record, I always spend an hour, you know, kind of f- finishing up on the outline and recording ads and doing things. And I sometimes I accidentally put that on MPU. So sorry about that. But the, anyway, uh, I, I felt that I was having a problem, you know, and so I spent some time late last year kind of catching up with some of the recent productivity books and following some of our friends that, that spend more time talking about this stuff than I do and trying to get myself sorted out. And one of the conclusions I reached, you know, my underlying frustration was I had some really big ideas for stuff I wanted to do as Max Sparky as opposed to as a lawyer. But being a lawyer um, is a monster that will eat all your time. It'll eat as much as you give it, and it still will want more. And so I just realized the only way this is going to happen is so I just force some of these other priorities into my life. And and ultimately, the way I decided to do that was just to start blocking time for it. And and I, I called it hyper-scheduling on our show, so I've kind of stuck with that. But since then, I've been told by a lot of people that there's nothing new here. This is, I guess, some people call it block scheduling and different things. But Yeah, I think I've heard block scheduling more than hyper-scheduling. That makes sense. But if, to me, it was hyper-scheduling because I, where before my, my calendar would have appointments and occasionally a block of time for some big project uh, – now, if you look at my calendar, it's it seems like it's just all day booked. And I've been doing it over a month now. At this point, I think that it's a habit for me, and I, I really am getting benefits from it. So it's working for me. you know. And, and what I'm doing is the night before, and I'll put links to the post if you want to read them where I kind of really explain the nitty-gritty of it. But the night before, I when I finish up the, the prior day, I will block schedule or hyper schedule the next day and say, okay, like I said earlier, I'm going to get up in the morning, spend a couple hours writing, and then I'm going to, you know, take a walk. And then after that, I'm going to do mail for an hour. And then I'm going to spend time working on the Jones contract for two hours. And so I just kind of block this stuff. And one of the things I talked about in the last MPU plus that really got Katie's dander up was, you know, uh, sometimes I'll have a block just called you know, flag capture, you know, and, and what that is, is I'll have seven or eight items that are flagged and OmniFocus. And, and I didn't really, it's not Katie's fault. It's mine. I did. I just really didn't explain it well, but you know, going through OmniFocus is, is he my going bank. to play capture the flag. What's going on here? Yeah. Well, you know, OmniFocus is my bank of things I draw from that night before. I mean, in addition to figuring out what appointments I have and where, where I want to spend time on priorities, like getting some writing done, I also have things that I'm obligated to get done. And so I'll have a group of five to, you know, 10 flagged items in OmniFocus. And I don't hyper schedule it to the extent of say from 2 p.m. to 2.15 p.m. I'm going to write that email. And, you know, I don't do that. What I do is I'll, I'll have an hour or two block to say capture flags. And all I do is go through the OmniFocus and knock flags down. And then hopefully I finish that. And then I've got uh, some time built in there to go into OmniFocus later, uh, then I'll have a time block called maybe legal work. And so maybe I've captured all my flags. I've done my writing for Max Sparky. And then from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., I'll just say legal work. And then I don't have any priority legal work on my plate at that time. And I will go through OmniFocus and pick something that makes sense for me to do at that moment uh, based on my energy level and the information I have available to me and all those things and, and get work done. So uh, it's kind of a new way to get my work done. Again, I'm not giving it full justice because I think it requires a, a much longer show for me to kind of go through chapter and verse how I do it. But in the context of calendaring, which we're talking about now, 
this is working for me. And uh, the big picture idea is I will block time for specific projects that are big. I will block time for types of work as well. And the mechanics of it for me is I'm just using uh, Fantastical. You know, you put it up on my iMac uh, 27 inch, I can put 14 days as my week view. So I'll have this great, you know, kind of list of seeing what's coming up for me. In fact, as we record this, as we've already mentioned, we're getting ready to leave to Chicago, but I've already got blocks in on Sunday and next Monday of stuff that uh, I'm just not going to have time to deal with this week with all the travel, but I'm already allocating time for it into the future using this method. And and uh, my brain at that point has said, okay, you don't have to worry about that while you're in Chicago. You've already dealt with it. It's, it's a method of task management in addition to calendaring. And so you've been doing this for a couple of months now. I, I mean, I, I started the day after I got back from Europe. I knew I wanted to do it, but I wanted to wait till I got back from the vacation. And I've been doing it for a couple of months, yeah. Do you just find that it brings you more order? Do you find that at the end of the day you have any more free time? I mean, are you just feeling better about what you're doing? The answer is yes. Yes to all the above. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's the, the biggest problem. The, my biggest source of dissatisfaction in my life over the last couple of years is I quit my job with the idea that I would be a lawyer, but I would also be able to work on Max Sparky stuff and do some interesting things there as well. And the reality of what happened was uh, running my own law practice just became an all-consuming thing for me. You know, part of the thing I did, and we talked about this on Free Agents, is I, I stopped being a trial lawyer. I mean, I don't have any cases in litigation right now. And I've got so much work on my corporate work for my clients and managing contracts and stuff that that's just fine. So I gave up the most lucrative part of a practice. But that's okay, because it's working out for me. But I still didn't have enough time to work on these books and things. So my big takeaway from reading some books, and, and I'd say my two biggest influences on this were the uh, Cal Newport book called Deep, what was it, Deep Work, I think it's called. And uh, and frankly, some of the stuff Sean Blanc's been writing. Um, so I those were my two biggest um, inspirations to say, okay, if you think these things are important to you, why aren't you doing them? Well, because you wake up every day and you deal with everything else. And at the end of the day, there's no time left. It's the exact same problem I had back when I was in a firm. It seems like more than anything, what this has done is it helps you refocus your priorities a little bit. Exactly. Well, it's, it's allowing me, my priorities never change, except my actions weren't matching them. So I'm saying, okay, if that's a priority, put your money where your mouth is. Part of it is just getting up every day and spending a couple hours writing on it. And, you know, so it's, it's, and using this calendaring method, it, uh, the effect for me is because I'm doing it sometimes days in advance, depending on what's going on. Uh, when a client calls and says, uh, you know, I'd like you to do this, I can say, okay, I can do that. It's going to take me two days. Whereas before I would just move the world to get it done that day. And you know what I'm finding? Clients don't care because most of the stuff I'm doing isn't an urgent priority, but I was making it one anyway. One of the things you talked about, I, I don't remember if it was in your blog post or if we did talked about this separately, um, is that these are not set in stone. You do give yourself some flexibility. What happens when a day goes off the rails? Then you just deal with it. You know, if a client calls with a true emergency, then that day you're not going to get the stuff done and you're going to give all your time to that client. And that happens once in a while. And, you know, you just say that's part of my dual life. You know, I've got two different careers and sometimes one of them is going to take priority, but I'm not going to let one of them take priority every day, which is what I was letting happen. 
I think I think there's got to be a happy medium maybe for for someone like me. I I do very little scheduling other than something that is a true appointment. I have to be at this place at this time. I, I think there's probably got to be a happy medium that that I could find. And and you found that it was kind of an all or nothing thing for you, right? Did you do any kind of scheduling block block scheduling before? Yeah, I did. I did. I always did partial block scheduling where I would. Uh, like I'd say, if there was a big contract I was working on and I needed to spend two or three hours on it, uh, I would it would stay as an omni-focused task for a day or two. And if I didn't get it done that way, I would say, okay, I'm, I'm scheduling on Wednesday at 2 p.m. I'm going to work on this. And I would put a block in the schedule for that specific item. But once again, those were all, I never blocked time to work on the next field guide. And, you know, it was just kind of me realizing that I wasn't doing that. I mean, this is turning into a therapy session, so I should probably stop. But, um, you know, it just, that's what I needed to do. Uh, In order, you know, kind of reflecting on it, occasionally I fall off the wagon still because this is extra work at the end of the day to stop and plan your next day out. It's not just a question of hitting Command D in Fantastical. You know, like, like take a walk is one. There's like a two-mile hike near my house, and I do that almost every day. Um, so I can command D that and I can move it around. But it's also a question of going through OmniFocus and using all my OmniFocus muscles to pull out of there those flags that are needed for the next day and hopefully have stuff on deck that I can do as well. So it takes a little time to set all this stuff up, but it's completely worth it. And I've noticed the few times I've fallen off the wagon. If I look at the amount of work I get done the next day, it's not nearly as much because uh, the method I'm using now allows me just to, to get up and start cranking widgets to use a David Allen term. And before getting up and trying to plan it in the morning, uh, it just was very hard for me to kind of get everything rolling. All right. Well, I'm glad that's been, been successful for you. It's probably something that I should do more than, than I do. Well, it, it took me being very angry with myself and uh, kind of really kind of digging deep to figure this out. Uh, to get it going. And, you know, since I wrote these posts, I've heard from tons of listeners and readers who do have been doing the same thing for years. And, you know, I'm, I'm late to the game, but, you know, I'm sharing my journey anyway. I'll tell you one of the things that I adopted last year that I've, I've really been very happy with is I started using a calendaring program to help people schedule more events with me. And I I think you have to be selective in the way that you use it, but I think it can be effective. The the one that I settled on was Calendly, although I will tell you that – Acuity scheduling was a was a very close second. In fact, there were probably things that I liked about Acuity scheduling more. What what tipped it in Calendly's favor for me is that Calendly was the one that my uh, receptionist, we both use Ruby receptionist, um, that was the one that, that Ruby would integrate with. So that that's what tipped it in my favor. But I think either of those would be excellent programs to look at. And what I used these programs for were for a few selective things. One is there were, in in my business, very specific types of appointments that I had with clients, um, estate planning consults, probate planning consults, very particular types of appointments that were always the same. And so they were they were very prone to being template-based and that I could template them, I could set them up 
where Calendly could block off a certain amount of time, where it could set up a form email to send to somebody. It could set up a form reminder email to send to somebody. These emails could have information with links to documents to download, to bring before your appointment and lists to frequently asked questions. All of the stuff that would normally be handled by me or by an assistant um, would, would all be taken care of in those preliminary things. And it's something where I could put a link up on my website or send a link to someone in an email or have my virtual assistant schedule and take a lot of those headaches out of the the scheduling as well as the follow-up out of the equation. And then the other thing that I used it for was for just honestly, and this this may sound uh, a little gruff, um, is scheduling social events with colleagues. Um, I I do a lot of mentoring with our our local bar association. I try to you know have a bunch of you know networking lunches with a with a certain group of people from time to time. I try to connect with them. And, you know, just scheduling these things can be overwhelming to say, hey, well, how about Tuesday? No, how about Wednesday? How about Friday? How about next week? Where do you want to eat? And so what I would do is I would pre-schedule or or, I'm sorry, pre-create templates for a breakfast meeting, for a lunch meeting, for a coffee and pre-populate those with choices for I'm available these days generally at these times. These are the places that I like to go. And then people send people a link and they could go to my calendar and say, yes, I I would love to have lunch with you. I'd love to have breakfast with you. I'd love to have coffee with you. Um, So we don't have, and this is, I use Tech Expander for this. Um, I'd send them an email saying, um, so we don't have to go back and forth. Uh, Here's, here's a link where you can schedule with me directly at your convenience. And again, I would, I would use these with colleagues and with people that I would already know. And they'd just be great. They could click, they'd pick a date and time that they were available with. They'd get an email. I'd get an email. It'd be coordinated when it was free on my calendar. And, you know, boom, we're off to the races. So feels a little antisocial, doesn't it? No, but I think that works. I mean, and, you know, somebody listening to this that's in business, it depends on your client relationships. Like Katie's an estate planning attorney, and you do a lot of people come in that that don't know you very well, you know, that are looking to meet with you and you can't spend a bunch of time. Um, you know, scheduling all those meetings. So you could hire somebody to do it for you. Or you could use a computer. Um, I, I've been resistant to that stuff because I'm a business attorney. My clients, a lot of them have been with me some nearly 25 years. And, you know, I've watched them raise their kids and now I'm seeing their pictures of their grandkids. And, you know, they have my cell phone number. And, you know, we've just got these relationships where sending them to a web form doesn't really seem appropriate. Um, but I, I like kind of what you're talking about. I mean, I have come up with some rules that have evolved since I went out on my own that really helped me in terms of calendaring meetings. And uh, I try to never calendar a, a phone call meeting before 1 p.m. And it, that doesn't always work. I've got clients in Asia and Europe, and sometimes we have to do things. But in, for California clients, largely, I'm always offering them times after 1 p.m. Because I feel like in the mornings, I get a lot of work done and I just don't want to interrupt the flow at all. Um, Another thing I really try to do is, um, if at all possible, just schedule meetings on Wednesdays where I have to get in a car and go somewhere. In a perfect world, I don't leave the house on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Is that crazy? But I, I can almost do it because so many of my clients work on the phone and the internet and things like that. But 
If I could just leave once a week, I get so much more done that week than if I have to get in a car two or you know three days a week. It just it's such a time suck for me. Then you only have to have one suit. Yeah, there you go. It's weird because you know my second daughter's been driving now for a while. We didn't buy a car for her because. I, you know, I, I have my fancy bike for most days. <laughs> yeah, I get on my bike and go to the grocery store. I don't need a car in a perfect week, just Wednesday. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you said it right. I think it depends completely on what your relationship is with the person, but it, it saved me a ton of time. So it, it, I throw it out there. So it's something to do. I, I'm tempted because I am, I am experimenting with um, some virtual assistants and some other people. And I'm tempted to still, even though I have these long relationships, to hand off some of the, the calendaring and scheduling to somebody else. I just haven't exactly figured out how I'm going to do it yet. Because I do think it needs to be human, not not a computer that does it because of these relationships. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of these um, programs have trials where you can schedule one event for free. And then if you get more than one event, it's when it starts costing you. So that that might be something to look into. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. Are you listening to my voice right now without 1Password installed? Are you trying to manage your passwords on your own with a spreadsheet or, God forbid, a Microsoft Word document? If so, shame on you. That's bad. You can't do that yourself anymore. Things are too complicated. 1Password is the simple application and web service that solves your password problems for you. Once you install 1Password, it generates strong and unique passwords and remembers them for you. They're super easy to fill in. Just remember your 1Password password. And the gang at 1Password doesn't sleep. They are always making the product better. A good example is recently the Owned Password service they have at OnePassword.com. Troy Hunt launched the Owned Password website, which allows you to check if your passwords have been leaked on the Internet. He has a database with over 500 million passwords that have been compromised. 1Password has now built that into their web service, so you can have it securely and safely check your passwords against that database. Everything's encrypted, so nobody ever actually sees your database, but you get the benefit of knowing if you have compromised passwords or not. All of this comes with your 1Password subscription, and it's just another example of why 1Password is so awesome and such a great service. We use 1Password in my family. I also strongly recommend it to all the people I work with. The world today has just got too complicated for us to manage our own passwords. The team at 1Password is absolutely dedicated to providing you the safe and secure environment you need to manage all of those passwords and keep the bad guys on the internet from getting at your stuff. So go to onepassword.com slash MPU, and that's in all caps, and check it out today. You get 20% off, and now they even have gift cards, so you can help that special someone in your life get more secure on the internet. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps. Get your 20% off, and thank you, 1Password, for sponsoring the Mac Power Users. So let's talk about using forms, and... um most businesses we have have some kind of form but probably the worst thing that happens and it i hate it when you walk into an office maybe maybe it's your first appointment but the worst is when it's like no i come here every 6 months you've seen me before i know your name and the first thing that somebody does 
is you get in the waiting room and they hand you a clipboard with a form on it. Like I have been seeing my same dental practice. I kid you not since I had teeth, like uh, the, the dentists have changed a little bit, but for the most part, I've been going to this dental practice since I was a toddler. And every time I go there, I have to fill out the exact same form. I'm like, really guys, really come on. Unrelated. Did you know I just bought a water pick? Okay. Well, how come I didn't know about this before? It's so great. Can I tell you, I've never in my life had a cavity. Not one. Yeah. You're even better than I am. But the, uh, man, that water pick feels good. I, I don't know why I waited until I was 50 to get one of these things. Anyway. Well, I'm glad your dentist is uh, still using paper. (laughs) But so my, my first thing would be is if you can eliminate or reduce these forms, please do please really. Um, but but secondly, I understand that at some point, sometimes completely eliminating these forms are are not is not feasible. What what can we do to make them less painful? Well, I think if it's your business, you can reduce the forms. And uh, if you're listening to the show, you have the power to do it yourself. Uh, uh, both PDF Pen Pro and Adobe have the ability to create fillable forms on your Mac. Um, I. Don't know for certain if there's any apps on iOS that can. If there are, please let me know. Anybody that's done it, let me know, and we'll we'll follow up on that on MPU Plus. But I've made some dandy forms over the years on PDF Pen Pro, and you know if I have a client for me in a new company or things like that, I will send them the form. They fill it out and send it back to me, and I've already got the form captured digitally. It's just so much better than the old clipboard story. So what I will do is, um, yes, so you can take that form that you've created, you know, really reduce it as much as you can, because you really don't need as much information as you think you do. Even though you want it, you don't need that much information. Um, And then, yes, create a fillable PDF form. Here's a couple of things you can think about. I, I took a lot of those forms and I put them on my website. I put them on my website and I created links to them in Text Expander, and I would send them out to people in advance so they would have them before they got into my lobby so that I didn't have to hand them a clipboard with them and said, yeah, here, just fill this out. Bring it to me with your next appointment. I did that a lot with like my initial consultation with clients, and I would even give them a, a bonus that says, hey, if you bring this completed to your appointment, I'll give you the, the initial consult for free or the first 30 minutes for free or something like that. Yeah. Save me a bunch of time. Save me a bunch of time. Save you a bunch of time. Here you go. So that's, that's one way to to do it. Do you, did you create the forms on your Mac or how'd you create them? Yes. Okay. So what I did, I, I created the forms myself using a a word processor. Um, but then what you can do is I took that form and I put it into PDF pen, um, so that I had a PDF of it. And then I used PDF pen to create the form fields and it did a pretty good job. If you just use the option in the menu to create, um, uh, fields from, the document. Yeah. It just looks through for like blank lines and it creates fields based on that. Right. And then you can clean it up a little bit from there and do a little tweaking. So lines, check marks, those types of things. And then bonus to that is that someone who is quasi computer savvy will get that on the website or get that on the email and type in it instead of writing it. So then they print it and you actually get a form that you can read, which is nice. Uh, I know Adobe does it as well. Adobe um, Acrobat Pro on the Mac. I have not had a subscription to Adobe in a long time, so I've I've not used that recently. But that's another option for you. Uh, but p- those are the two that I'm aware of. Anything? Uh, the other thing you can do 
that I have started moving as many things as I can. And, and a lot of this is, again, it depends upon your audience. Um, but I'm a member of a professional organization where every year people have to reapply for a membership to the organization. And I was the membership chair of this particular organization this year. And I decided this year we're going completely paperless with our applications. You're going to have to figure out how to do this online. So I took our membership application, which was pretty basic, um, and I put it on our website. Uh, people already had to go to our website to download the application. But now instead of going to the application or to website and downloading the application, what they do is they now click a button that says click here to apply online. And I also took the opportunity to redo our website. I created a Squarespace website, but that's another story. Um, and I just use the um, the form button in Squarespace or the contact button. And I was able to create a pretty simple form that said, you know, give me your name, give me your address, give me your phone number. And then our application had a couple of questions like, you know, why do you want to be in this club? What do you feel you can contribute? You know, what's your favorite color? Those types of things. And um, when they submitted the application, I think we had it submit both to a Google Doc as well as to my email address so that when it came time for our um, admissions committee to meet and review all the applications, it was a completely paperless process. I shared them all to a Dropbox. Everybody already had all the applications. We didn't have to worry about people, you know, scrawling on them, printing something, doing something. It was it was all done electronically. It was great. Yeah. So that back end Google Doc integration, I think, is something some people may not be aware of. And traditionally, if you wanted to make a form you fill out on the website that collects data on your server or your computer somewhere, you had to go with a pretty expensive solution. You know, um, it wasn't an easy thing. Uh, Google makes it a lot easier. So if you're collecting a lot of data from potential customers or I don't know, whatever use you have to, to collect information off the web, I would recommend checking that out because I think that can solve a lot of people's problems. I mean, obviously, be be aware of privacy implications. Be aware of the type of information you're collecting and who's doing what with it. So you, you think that having people type in their credit card number when the field would probably be a bad idea. That would probably be a bad idea. Uh, it would I, probably I would break every law. <laughs> so, yeah, don't do that. But, the, yeah, but the, I mean, basic information you can collect that way. I think it, it is a useful way to go about it. And like I said, before, that was a multi-thousand dollar software problem and requiring your own server, whereas now it's a couple hooks in Google Docs. And, and the way things are, that's only going to get easier over time. Um, the other thing that I will say is, I have found, and I don't have any particular recommendation to do because I've always built my own using, you know, my website software, using Google Docs or something like that. But I've I've seen, you know, when, when we're at ABA Tech Show, there are a number of software vendors that are, are available there. But there are now a number of fairly inexpensive web services that will allow you to to do things like this um, and, and collect information and send it to you. And they'll even brand it for you and, and those types of things that, are, that have more um, security and integration, those types of things built in for it, if that's something that that's you need. So you could probably just do a Google search and, and find a number of resources available for that. But they're out there. What about conference calls? Uh, yeah, that's a that's an easy thing to do. I think you and I both use the, the same service. Um, I just use freeconferencecalls.com. It's a, it's a free service. It's a easy service. You go and you register for a number. Um, usually they give you a random, um, area code or, or one that's in their home base. It happens not to be my area code, but 
I now have a conference call number that I can give people. And these days with everybody having cell phones with free long distance, it's just a non-issue. And um, uh, I use it all the time and I give it to other people to use now. In fact, I just had a colleague who was trying and failing because she didn't use Doodle, but whatever, um, to to schedule uh, a meeting for a committee that she was trying to put together. And, you know, I, after about 20 emails back and forth. I can do this date, but not this date. I can do this date, but not this date. I hate those so much. <sighs> well, and I, the first thing I thought was I should just email her and tell her about doodle. And then the second thing I thought was, you know, I really don't want to go to this meeting. So then I thought, <laughs> <laughs> wait a second, Katie Floyd. Yeah. It was negligence of omission. It is was. What we're talking. So my first thought was I could tell her about doodle. And then I thought, no, no, I really don't want to do that. So then I told her, I said, you know, I have a conference call number uh, left over from my um, that I, that I don't use that you could you could use if you want. Um, why, why don't we just try to do this over a lunchtime and, and have a conference call? And she thought that was a great idea. So we're having a conference call tomorrow at lunch. Yeah, I know I've given this advice on the show before, but for those that haven't listened to every one of our 421 episodes, if you are sending, if you are proposing a time to meet with somebody, now I'm not talking about a conference, a, you know, a group of people use a doodle, but if it's just like one or two people, just send out the email that says, how about next Tuesday at 1 p.m.? Just just be bold and just put the date and the time in the initial email, and you'll be amazed at how often that's all you have to do. They write back and say, sure. And then you're done. Oh, but the other thing is uh, text expander. Again, I think I stole your, your template for this. I think you wrote this up, but I have a text expander template that says, here's all the information about the conference call. This is how long it's going to take. This is what we're going to talk about. Done. Yeah. I just put the the link for that post in the uh, show notes where you can, you can download the snippet right from the website and it's, it's a conference call setup and you just have to plug in your, your number you get from free conference call or whatever service you use. Um, I have a I have a new workflow I want to share with everyone, you know, because faxing faxing has been a problem with me. I was using a um, a service. No. Oh, I was using a service, and they they the the introductory pricing. I didn't realize it was introductory, so I got hit with like a seventy dollar bill for the following year. And I just recently came up to my renewal period, and I found the solution to faxing, and that is I I no longer have a fax number, <laughs> so <laughs> I just don't have one. I. I had some older clients and that was a problem for them, you know, because they just were used to faxing and they wanted to have my fax number. But uh, part of the fact that I don't do litigation means I don't really need one. If, and if you're doing trial work, sometimes you do have a need for it. But the type of work I do, I don't really need it. And now when people say, what's my fax number? I say, I don't have one. Sorry. Um, and I, but I have to get this to you. I'm like, well, can you scan it? And most people do scan it. But if they say, I can't even scan it, I'm like, well, take out your smartphone, just take a picture of it and mail it to me, email it to me. And I can use, you know, PDF pen and all my other magic tools to turn that into what I need uh, when I get that picture. But I, that almost never happens. I, I'm There's a small part of me that's just super happy that I no longer have a fax number. There you go. I never got one to begin with, and it's been blissful. I'm just like, nope, sorry. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Squarespace. Enter code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. 
There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace just has you covered. And they have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you in quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And they have all of those award-winning templates that are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. So I talked a little bit in the show about how Squarespace has helped me. I kind of end up being that tech person, the go-to person for all of the various organizations that I belong to. Well, guess what? All of those organizations needed new websites, and now they've all got websites built on Squarespace. Most of these sites I built in just a couple of hours, and Squarespace makes it so easy to maintain those sites I can build them. I can make beautiful websites that integrate with our various social media services and platforms and blogs and events and everything that we need to do. And then I can just hand them over for somebody else to maintain. Squarespace makes it that easy. And Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, so they're affordable for almost any organization. But you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, make sure you use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Mac Power users. So thank you to Squarespace for their support of the show. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right, I want to talk a little bit about uh, our next big topic here is reducing paper. And, um, you know, you've got this big iPad with a big iPad and the bigger iPad. And I want to know, David, how are you using these iPads with this fabled Apple Pencil that I know I'm missing out on by not using for for reducing paper? Uh, I use it sometimes for notes. I am I actually have a confession, but uh, okay, it involves me and physical paper. But that's all I'm going to say because I have way more to say about that than I can really talk about here. And we and we'll, I'll talk about it in a future MPU plus. But I am using the iPad and the Apple Pencil, but I'm also um, doing some other things. But I I don't even want to get into it now. Can we just skip that for now? Put a put a, put a pin in it. Is that what they say? All right. So are you are you using your your iPad for note taking? Hmm. <sighs> this sounds interesting. Um, let's talk about that at MPU plus. Hmm. We will come back to this conversation. What about you? Yes, I am. I'm actually using my iPad more and more, uh, but I don't use the Apple Pencil at all. You know, I I got rid of my Apple Pencil because I just wasn't using it. And I kept thinking, oh, maybe I'll buy another one. But I've never found the need to. I always found the Apple Pencil awkward. It was a little too long. It was a little too clumsy. I've never had great handwriting. So I've always just used my um, iPad with a smart keyboard that I keep pretty much attached to it 24-7. And I have found that, especially with the move to the 10 and a half inch iPad, to be a great setup for typing. What about that problem you have um, in business where you get like a bunch of Word documents that need to become PDFs or a bunch of PDFs that need to become Word documents? How are you dealing with that? Uh, I am actually talking about this at the uh, tech show. It's one of the topics of my talk. Um, I There are a couple of ways. I, I do this all the time with um with documents that I generate for clients because I then need to convert them to PDF um or we have to convert P- uh, documents to PDF before we can upload them through our um filing system. There are a couple of ways that you can mass convert word documents to PDF. I mean obviously you can individually doing it do it, 
um, with an export to PDF or, or with the you know file print and export as PDF. But if you're doing more than two or three, that that tends to get tedious. Um, there is an Apple script, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that Apple script that you can you can use to mass convert documents to to PDF. And there are two ways that you can you can run that. Uh, one is you can just create an Apple script using Apple Script Editor, and then save that Apple script. Um, as an application and that application you can run you can run that script through you know um, keyboard maestro or through uh, launch bar or you can just save it as a droplet that you can then drag and drop the pdfs onto i mean once once you have it they call that a folder action you create a folder action folder action you can you can do any of those things with it Um, so lots of ways that you can run that Um, another thing you can do it is with automator um, you can you take the Apple script. I, I'm kind of nervous about Automator a little bit. I know we've we talked to Sal about it, and he says it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. But um, you can create take an Apple script using Automator, and use a great way to do it is to create a service in Automator that will then basically run an Apple script to create uh, to take a Word document and convert it to a PDF. So you can just uh, select multiple P, uh, Word documents, right click, and use the Automator action to convert them to PDF. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, I think my feeling on Automator is they're not going to, like, make it not work anymore. I just don't think it's going to get a lot of improvements over what it has. I will tell you, if you're doing a bunch, it can take a few minutes because it, it's it's doing it in the background. But, but what you're going to see is you're going to see all those Word documents open because it's going to open it, convert it, close it, open it, convert it, close it, open it, convert it, close it. So still way faster than you could do. It, it is. It's doing a lot faster than you can do it. Um, but also something to be aware is that it's going to convert whatever you have on the screen or the state that you've saved it in. So for example, a lot of times if I'm working on a word document, I'll have like track changes. So I need to make sure that I I have like the final version showing. Well, I think that's, that's, that's a good solution. Also the command P trick that I wrote up years ago, I think that's the most frequently linked post I've ever written. Just, you know, it's a little script that allows you to save as PDF with just one keyboard stroke. If you're working on onesies and twosies, that's another good way to do it. And then of course you can, you can reverse that. You can, um, there are many tools, including PDF pen that will allow you to take a PDF and convert it to a word doc. Now that's not always a perfect conversion. So, you know, you don't want to you know, throw away all your word docs thinking, Oh, it's no problem. I can always reconvert it, but it's better than nothing. You know, and, and sometimes that's useful um, for OCR, too. The other day I was working on a document that had some really nutty formatting in it, and getting it to OCR properly was really difficult. I ran it through PDF pin, and it was okay, and then I, but it, it still was missing a bunch. And then I ran it through the other, I forget the name of the app, the, uh, the solely OCR app, the one that Abby. people use with. Yeah, Abby Fine Reader, and it was having trouble. And so just out of desperation, I went in PDF pin and I converted the converted it to Word doc. And it actually did a better job that way of getting me to the text than, than anything else did. So then I just took the text out of there, pasted it as plain text in another document to kind of remove all the nutty formatting, and I had something I could work with. Uh, watermarks, uh, lawyers do this all the time. You know, you got PDFs, you need to watermark them. Uh, there's some automator stuff. I, I actually screencasted that, and I think it was the 60 Tips Volume 2 book, how to make uh, automator services to automatically watermark stuff. Um, but you can also do it manually in PDF Pen. Um, and there's a good app. Uh, what's, in it? it's, uh, what's it called? Bronson? Bronson Watermarker, yes. 
You still use that one? I do. I use it for for one off things. I I really you know we we know the guy who made that. We should we had him on our show. Um, I, I need to drop them out. The one thing I wish we could fix about that is that I wish you could drop multiple PDFs on them to watermark them, or I wish you didn't have to like close out and restart it every time you wanted to, to do a quick watermark. Batch um, watermarking. Yeah. Batch watermarking. Uh, there's also an Apple script. PDF pen is very scriptable. So there's an Apple script that you can use to, um, uh, mass watermark with PDF pen as well. Occasionally you have the need to share documents securely. And that's, uh, you know, that's something that we need to think about in the age of the internet. You know, like if you just put something on Dropbox and send people a link, what does that mean? Usually it means anybody that has the link can get the same document. Um, we, I think this one tip goes back. I think Merlin Mann was the first person that had this idea of putting in a Dropbox link and then setting it to expire. Yeah. So Merlin had this original idea, but then Dropbox has, you know, every couple of months they change the way they do things. So we used to all have public folders in Dropbox, but now public folders don't work the way that they used to. So you used to be able to put something in a public folder in Dropbox. But the problem is if somebody knew the name of something or uh, if they knew your public folder, it was pretty easy to find it. So Merlin used to have a a two-part tip. And part one of his tip was he would generate a random name for the file. So you, you then had to know the name of the file. And then he would also create a Hazel rule that would say that if anything had been sitting in his public folder for more than, you know, I don't know, a week, uh, that, that it would delete it. But I don't think Dropbox uses public folders the way that they previously did. So I've kind of recreated this functionality. And depending on the level of the security that you need for the document, and depending on who you're sharing it with and their level of sophistication, there are a couple of different, and, and also depending on the level of the plan that you have with Dropbox, um, there are a couple of things that you can do to securely share documents. And a lot of these tips will translate to different cloud services as well. Um, so one of, one of the things that you can do with Dropbox, again, depending on the level of the plan that you have, is Dropbox has the ability to create an expiring link. So similar to how... Um, you you can share a specific folder with Dropbox, create a custom link that you can share with people so that if somebody has the link, they can view the contents of that folder, but then set that link to expire. I think the shortest amount of time you can do is seven days, but you can do like seven days or 30 days or, you know, some, some variable like that and say that if the person doesn't get whatever they need out of that folder, that that, that shared invitation expires within so many days. Yeah, and I, if anybody from Dropbox is listening, I would love it if you change that feature to be the number of downloads of that link. You know, it, you get five clicks on that link and then it stops working. That would be great. The the other thing that you can do is you can password protect that link. So you can choose the password. And, and this is a tip. This is one thing that I do with my clients and I, I do it as part of my intake process. And we have a conversation about it. And we also have a conversation about password practices is I get a password from my clients and I I save it in a secure place where I keep my, my client information, but I have a password that I use with my clients for us. And it's, I say, don't give me a password that you use for your other thing. Don't give me a password for anything else. Give me a password that you and I can use to share documents back and forth with. You mean you don't just forward them to a, 
a, a Mac Power Use episode about one password or something like that. You, you could. should just do that. You could do that. Um, <laughs> but I get them to give me that password. And then so when I am sharing documents with them, that's that is the password. And then if we need to change it, we change it. Or um, typically, if something's been going on for for a period of time, I'll I'll, I'll change it after it's been going on for for so long. But um, that's one tip that I have is is that way we can share documents and then inevitably they'll call and they'll say, Hey, what was that password that I'll give you? But I don't send it to them in the same link that I send them the documents. Usually they have to call and we'll, we'll separately give it to them. So that's one document. And then the other thing is, is obviously depending on, on what you have, if nothing else, um, you can set up a Hazel rule to auto delete files from a, from a shared folder. Now this is kind of the, the poor man's solution to doing this. There are dedicated file sharing solutions out there that will give you more flexibility. I, and, and of course you can password protect individual documents and you can do things like that, but you know, th- this is just some options. It's amazing, though, how much a working knowledge of Hazel, how many problems that can solve for you. <laughs> you know, it really is. Um, all right. The, um, so let's switch over to kind of the finance subject a little bit. The, uh, what are you doing in terms of, of billing these days and, and getting that? Are you keeping that paperless? Um, well, there are a lot of great tools for, for keeping that paperless. Um, we we have the the two big ones are Harvest and FreshBooks, and I would say just they're they're so close. Com- compare them to see which one suits you best between the plans and the pricings and the options that they have. But they both have very similar features in terms of the the core functionality of being able to generate a good looking invoice sending it to someone, being able to accept uh, payments online, being able to follow up on those payments and those types of things. And um, that's that's the solution that, that I have implemented. And it has been amazing. I, I will tell you, in, in the old business, I would spend the, an entire day and sometimes more than a day doing billing and doing invoicing. And on top of that, we we had a and it was just the cost of doing business we had a not insignificant percentage that we just wrote off um in ar and accounts receivable because we knew a certain number of people were either going to not pay or slow pay and we just you know if your percentage was this or less it was it was an acceptable cost of doing business percentage and now I, I am very pleased to say I should knock on wood or something. Mine's zero. I mean, part of that is because I, I'm selective about the the people that I choose to work with. And part of that is I make it easy to pay me and I follow up. Now, I do have to pay my, you know, two to three percent to the credit card companies. But that's a whole lot lesser percentage than I was I was losing to to invoices not being paid. You know, it's funny. I this OK, so I'm going to talk about lawyers a little bit because I've gone to this tech show several times and I tell people that I enabled, you know, credit card payment and my clients love it because a lot of them have rewards cards. So they feel like they get something out of paying me that way. I send out the invoices and for a lot of them within two or three days, they're paid and my system automatically reports the payments. So there's never any mistakes made as opposed to when I get a check in the mail, it's got to go through a process, you know, and I, I'll talk about that in a minute. So um, I can show you how I'm using some automation for that. But the, um, but 
the credit card stuff is great, but then the lawyers, they complain to me like, oh, but then you got to pay that credit card percentage. And I'm like, who cares? I mean, honestly, it's such a small percentage uh, in order to have this problem just solved and to make it easier for people to pay you. I don't understand why they have trouble with that. I think it may just be a lawyer thing. I think most people are more woke on that, but um, but that, I, I'm with you 100%. Um, I think just the, in general, the online billing systems are just so much better than the old ways this stuff was done. Uh, so let me tell you what I do when I get a check in the mail, because some people pay me by check. Um, I've got a method. First of all, is I don't offload that to anybody. I want to be the one to process checks to make sure everything is done right. And what I do is uh, I run it through the scan snap. So I've got immediately I've got a scan copy of it. Um, I then uh, go into my online system and report it as paid. I do this before I deposit it, which is a mistake. I know you're supposed to wait till after it deposits, but I've never had a client bounce a check on me, so I, I guess I'm just going to roll with that. Uh, but then I, uh, once I've done that, I just I don't have um, a Hazel auto name and, and file the document for me because. Uh, for some reason, I found that it has trouble doing that with checks consistently. And, you know, when I have it do the OCR of the check and find the name of the client and the check number, and I, I've tried all these different recipes to get it to do automatically, and it just doesn't work. The other reason I don't want it to happen automatically is because I do want to see the check on the screen as I'm kind of processing it through my system. But what I do is once I'm ready to file it, I just, I have a keyboard shortcut I've created. It's control option command semicolon. And when I do that, it's just the tags command on the Mac. So it opens the tags window. And then I have a tag for the client name and a tag for the word check. And on, and uh, Hazel's always looking. So if it sees uh, a, a document that has a client name and the word check next to it, it immediately processes it. First thing it does is it renames it based on the date that it was scanned. So it's got the scan date plus the client name plus the word check. So it renames the file for me. Then it then it it moves the file to the uh, uh, to the client file uh, wherever I've got you know I've got in each client file on my system there's an admin folder and underneath that there's a payments folder. So it moves it to that folder, and then it makes a copy of it at that location. And it saves it to a different folder, which is for the Sparks Law income uh, that I share uh, via Dropbox with my CPA. And then in that folder, it auto sorts it into a folder that's organized by date and month. So it'd be like a, it, it, we're in March, so it would be 2018-03. It puts it in that folder. So all I do is put that tag on it, renames it, moves it to the appropriate client file, and makes a copy into the, uh, the the shared CPA folder. And then I'm good. And then I can just, you know, oh, and then then what I do is I play a good podcast or book on tape and I use my phone to deposit the checks and then I go shred them. Wow. That, um, that's very creative. It sounds very complicated though. Does it sound like time consuming? I guess it does, but it's, uh, I, I offloaded this and there were a couple of mistakes made and I don't ever want to send a client an email saying I didn't get your check when I did or, or report that it was paid when it wasn't. So, um, you know, you do have downtime in your day and I don't have a practice where I get a hundred checks a day. So it doesn't take me that long. You know, it's an extra 15 minutes, a couple of times a week and, uh, I'm okay with that. All right. Well, let me tell you what I do. 
I, um, like you, because I went to the online payment, I mean, obviously it's nice getting a check because then I don't pay the two or 3%, but then you got to process it. So, you know, you got to figure out what's, what's your time worth and all that. If, if someone pays me by card, it just automatically gets integrated in the system. The payment is processed It you know, nothing has to happen. I have to do nothing behind the scenes. It's just automatically taken care of. Um, if someone pays me by check, the, the check comes in, and so I do a couple of things. I, I use the app either on the Mac or the it's a it's a web app, um, or I use the app on my phone and I mark the payment as paid, and so that marks it as paid both in the in the software as which links to I use QuickBooks Online, which links to QuickBooks Online, and it marks it as as paid, and because it it generates with that, I then um, use my phone and my bank's mobile app, and I I scan slash deposit the the check in to the the mobile app and then because quickbooks online connects to my bank and and i use one of the bigger banks um a few days later when that check is actually deposited and clears which i think is really just 24 to 48 hours um that record of that is matched with the quickbooks transaction and then that image because my bank keeps images of all the checks so when i'm scanning that check that image actually connects up with with the QuickBooks database and is available through my online statement. So those are automatically there. I do save them for a month before I shred the checks, just in case you know, and basically until the accounts have been all been reconciled before I shred anything. But then I get the um, the statements. They've already been synced up through QuickBooks. They've already been marked as paid through my invoicing program. And then I've got the statements, which actually have the check images on them. So you do the same thing as me. So the only thing I add to the process. But, but all, all I have to do, I don't have to scan the checks. I don't have to do any of that. I don't have to do any of the labeling. All I have to do is just click market as paid and then deposit the check with my phone. So my additional steps are um, uh, uh, scanning it and tagging it. It's not that bad. No, it's not that bad. Interesting. Now, what about, and, th- and then your CPA presumably sees the QuickBooks stuff, so they don't need it as well. Yeah. So, uh, what, and that's another thing to talk about. And, and this was a, a system that I set up with my CPA. I, I had a meeting with my CPA when I set everything up. And what we decided is, you know, when, when you first start your own business, you, you have more time than you do money necessarily. And so one of the things we, we decided is that I was going to learn how to be my own bookkeeper with QuickBooks which was fine because at least the first three months I had time to do that. And so I got really good at doing all that stuff in QuickBooks. And then as I started to get busier, we got to the point where it didn't take me as long. And then I just pay my CPA quarterly to audit and review everything to make sure, you know, if I have a question, I send her an email and she'll go in and she'll fix something. If I can't figure out why something's not reconciling or why it's not working. And then, um, then at the end of the year, she'll do, she'd like right now she's doing my taxes. So I'm, she's really only in there looking at something either quarterly when she does a quarterly review and cleanup or, um, when I send her an email and say, Hey, I've got a question about this. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by Omni outliner three for iOS, the brand new version of the Omni groups, amazing outliner for the iPad and iPhone. Omni outliner is in my opinion, the best outlining application for the Mac iPad and iPhone. I've been using that application so long that I actually bought it in a box in a software store a very long time ago. I'm pleased to share that the Omni Group has now released Omni Outliner version 3 for iOS. It's a big upgrade for this Omni Outliner application on both the iPhone and the iPad. 
You may recall they did a big update of the application on the Mac last year. Well, now we've got a lot of those same features coming over to the iPad and the iPhone. With a new version, you can now get Omni Outliner Essentials for iPad and iPhone. This version is less expensive and has a few less features, but it's still got that same power and beautiful design that you see with Omni Outliner Pro. The new version also adds several additional new features, including printing, the ability to drag and drop text from both versions, and uh, even attach images with the new Pro version. Now you can export to PDF right on your iPad and iPhone, which is great. If you've got the Pro version, you can add document encryption now on a per-document basis, and they also have that amazing Omni automation with the Pro version. This is a JavaScript-based language that the Omni Group came up with to allow you to automate the Omni Outliner application. There's going to be a lot coming from this Omni automation as they expand it throughout the line, and I'm really happy to see it's already in Omni Outliner. You can also get slide-in inspectors with the Pro version and the ability to focus and filter on a certain section or have a keyword-based filter. So if you've got a nice long outline, you can find specific items in the Pro version. I use this application all the time in my legal practice. I especially use it when I do big trials. It's kind of my information database slash notebook. And and I love having all these pro features come over to the iOS versions because I really love using Omni Outliner on my iPad. It just seems like the perfect application for that form factor. Anyway, you can learn more if you go to theomnigroup.com and check out Omni Outliner 3 for iOS. They've got an upgrade plan if you've already bought it. Uh, they've got a 14-day free trial like they've always had, and it's just a great application. So check out Omni Outliner. Upgrade your outlining game on your iPhone and iPad today. And thanks, Omni Group, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. You know, we talked about dealing with checks and and uh, the financial side, but what about capturing expenses? Uh, has that changed for you? Yeah, a little bit. I, I kind of have a, a two-part um, way to, to capture expenses. A lot of expenses come to me um, through statements, through emails or statements that I go download on a monthly basis. So anything that I can download to my computer that comes to me through email those are pretty routine, and for those, I have a Hazel rule set up that that looks at those, that sees those, that categorize them by by date, by name, and and puts them in a specific expense folder. And so that's that's pretty straightforward. For that that takes care of of everything else. So on the let me talk about that before we go to the analog side, but the digital side, same thing. That Command P trick that I have solves the problem. If, if the email itself is the receipt, then you just hit command P twice and then you can save it and Hazel solves the problems from there. I still use, uh, for triggering Hazel on that stuff, I still use a text expander snippet that forms the name. Uh, that seems to be the most efficient way to do it. It's a text expander snippet that types in the current date and then it has a fill-in field for the description and then afterwards it's got a key phrase it will either be max sparky expense or sparks law expense and then uh hazel will see that and file it and send it to the accountant and do all the other stuff like we were talking about earlier uh the thing that has changed for me though is is on ios i mean that used to be something that was just verboten you know you couldn't do it uh when it was an email where it wasn't the attachment but the email itself that you wanted to use an ex as an expense now most of the good alternate email clients um, will have a feature now that allow you to save an existing P, uh, email as a PDF. Uh, but 
those for a variety of reasons, a lot of those clients just don't work for me overall. And I end up going back to Apple Mail. Now, Apple Mail has added it, but they've made it like a secret feature. It's almost impossible. You would never stumble across it, how you do this. But if you have an email that you want to turn into a PDF on your iPhone or your iPad, you click the print button, which kind of makes sense, I guess. And it gives you the print preview. And then you uh, expand it with two fingers, like a reverse pinch with your fingers. And then it goes into the sharing menu. And from there, you can share it as a PDF to a to a location. So I can do that now on the iPad. It's not as fast as on the, the Mac, but it's possible. Another tool that I've been been using a lot, because I'll, I'll use Hazel to to name things that I already know about. But for things like that, that I'm pulling out of emails that maybe I'm renaming, because like you, I have a lot of text expander tools. Um, I've been using quite frequently default folder X or default. Is it default folder X or default folder 10? Because, you know, sometimes I get confused about that. Uh, I think it's because it, it was based on Mac OS 10. So, so we I think, think it's default folder 10. Yeah. Okay. So I've been using default folder 10 and that's a great tool because it will let you access your most recently used folder, or you can set up a couple of folders as favorites. And so I have like a statements folder as a favorite or a tax receipts folder as a favorite. So a lot of times what I'll do, here's a pro tip is I will just name it how I want to name it. And then what I'll do is I'll just put it in the root directory level of that folder. So I don't have to worry about drilling down to, you know, uh, I've got them then subnamed by date, by month or by whatever. And then I have a Hazel rule that watches the root directory of that folder that will then, um, you know, file it wherever it needs to go. Hazel has the ability to look at any file. And and if you tell it uh, auto sort, it will. And then you can give it the criteria. Like the, the most common one I use is... Uh, year, there's a date token, but the, the, the default feature is year hyphen date hyphen month. It does use hyphens, by the way, Katie. Uh, Hazel yeah, I've heard a rumor. Yeah. yeah but the, uh, but if you go and you can edit that and you can remove the day and then it'll just sort it into the year and month. Or if it's something that that's very infrequent, like I got my property tax bill, I get that, you know, once or twice a year. Um, I just have it sort into subfolders by year in that case, and it'll do that. So that's a nice little rule you can use. So you put anything in there, auto sorts. It's another great rule to use to sort photos. People a lot of times write us in there like, I have all these photos. I just want to sort them by year and date. You just create the rule auto sort with Hazel in the, in the root folder, and it happens so fast it's a little bit creepy. Now, can you sort something? Uh, this is something I got to work out with Hazel. I want to try to sometimes sort something based on how it's been named, not necessarily on the date it was actually created. I think you can. I, I'll have to go in and look. I haven't had cause to do that ever, really, but I, I think you can do that. Well, it's just like if you if you get to the end of the month and, you know, you're just now getting around to sorting something and you're, you're, you saved it and you've created it. And now you've created it and it's March. But the, the actual date of the item is in February or something like that. Yeah. So one way you get around that is using the create date. So as so long as you're good about scanning the stuff in as, as soon as it comes in the door, even if you don't get around to it till two or three months later, if it's looking at the create date, the day you scan it, that's one way to solve that problem. Another way is you can have Hazel look inside the file 
and it can look for dates inside the file and it can incorporate that into the name and then you're golden and uh, you can go from there. Uh, I, I cover this in the Hazel uh, video field guide, but it, it's kind of deep stuff. You got to get in there and it's not perfect. Sometimes Hazel has trouble. I mean, you're asking an application to go inside a document and look for a date and match the date and then create the file. Sometimes things will go a little wrong. It's not going to be, you know, every time. Um, and then for things that are on the go, you know, if I'm going out and I have a, a receipt from a restaurant or somebody's handed me something, um, I am primarily using uh, Scanner Pro for for my scanning. And I like that for a couple of reasons. I, I like it because it has the OCR capabilities. So my, all my stuff's already OCR'd and I'm, and I'm ready to go. And then um, I also really like it because it has the ability workflows built into it. And what you can do with workflows is you can connect to a number of different cloud services. Um, you can set, you know, default names for things. So I've got my default name to be just the date that something was scanned, you know, 2018.03.05. Um, and, and then I can add a name to it if I want. And then I've got a couple of different workflows created that will automatically save things to different cloud services and different folders based on what it is. Yeah, I uh, I I switch between Scanner Pro and Scanbot. I'm currently using Scanbot, and the thing I really like about Scanbot is it has this idea of tokens. And it, if you give it permission, it can look at where you're at. So when you go to save the name of the file, it'll have tokens. Like I already have it putting the date in in the format that I want, but it'll have a token that says you know Burger Parlor. And I can just, because it sees I'm at the burger parlor, so I can just tap that and it puts it in. Or I've got tokens for uh, Max Sparky expense or or uh, Sparks Law expense. And like you, and we've talked about this in the past, but just for those that didn't hear it, uh, we always save that somewhere in the cloud that Hazel is looking at. And that way back at, you know, headquarters, Hazel will see, oh, there's an invoice or there's a receipt from Burger Parlor that has the word Max Sparky expense after the, after it. And then Hazel does its magic and puts it into the accounting folder and the various expense folders and does all that stuff for you. But uh, I, I'm with Katie. I think the two apps that are contending for King of the Hill on this are uh, Scanner Pro and ScanBot. If you've got one you think's better than those two, let us know. I'd like to hear about it. But uh, those two, they, it's just like every time they have a new release, uh, there's something cool. <laughs> they, they've done a really great job of that. And, and I guess we should mention uh, that you can also do this in Apple Notes now. Have you tried that? Oh, uh, no, because I'm happy with I mean, I, I've tried it to see that you can do it, but it doesn't have nearly the features that I want. So I've not tried it again. Now, I have used it. Um, the thing it does really well is it uses the augmented reality engine to get a good scan, even if you've not got it lined up perfectly. And that's really nice because sometimes when you have to, you know, place it carefully over the top, like you do with these other apps, um, you get sh weird shadows on it because of the lighting and you holding your phone over the document. Uh, but you're right. Once it does take the scan, it does a decent job. I don't think it even does as good of a job as some of these other apps. But then the it doesn't have the auto naming, doesn't have the tokens, it doesn't have the workflows, all the stuff that nerds like us like to use to save ourselves time. Those, And I don't think they're ever going to appear. The other weird thing about that is it saves it to a note, which is not... I think the ideal place for it. I want to put it somewhere. So you hit the sharing button and then you go to share it there, but you've still got this note with the scan in it and you got to deal with that. So I just don't think it's ideal. 
All right, David. Well, we've managed to kill another hour and a half plus here. And uh, by killing, I think we did a good job. <laughs> we we still have more on the, the spreadsheet to go. So I, I think we'll probably uh, revisit this topic at some point in the future. But in the meantime, if people want to follow up with their favorite business workflows, the best place to do that uh, is in our Facebook group. And you can find a link to that um, on our website at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, you'll find a link to, to all of the important things of the show, uh, including our sponsors, who we want to thank for their kind support. That would be Fujitsu, 1Password, Squarespace, and the Omni Group. So, well, I will actually see you in a couple of days, David, even though it's already happened by the time that people uh, hear this podcast. So I look forward to that. Uh, and thank you, everyone, again, for, for coming out and your great support. And we'll see you all next week.